A back and forth on the mask mandate for planes, trains, and public transit. We're breaking down the challenges playing out now. Plus, a coalition campaigning to legalize marijuana in the Hoosier state. We're talking to the people behind the campaign. It's all ahead right now on this week's edition of In Focus. A lot to get to in the world of politics today, starting with the legal battle over face masks on public transit. Thanks for joining us. I'm Kristen Escowin for Dan Spieler this week. A judge overturned the mandate on Monday, and the Department of Justice announced an appeal of that ruling Wednesday. But for now, the mandate is gone. Washington correspondent Alexandra Limon explains what happens next. Just when travelers and commuters were getting used to the idea that face masks are now optional. The Department of Justice, as you noted, has indicated uh, that they would appeal. White House Press Secretary Jen Psaki said the CDC is asking for more time, in part because of the recent rise in COVID-19 cases. But Psaki says the appeal is important for other reasons, too. For current and future public health crises, uh, we want to preserve that that. Uh, authority for the CDC to have in the future. TSA is still not enforcing the mask mandate because the judge's ruling that voided that mandate still stands for now. I'm happy that the mandate has been lifted and is optional, right? Because uh, there's going to be passengers and, and crew members that still feel like they're, uh, they're more comfortable um, in, in, with a mask. On social media, photos and videos are going viral, showing travelers celebrating that masks are now optional. But the White House says that's not the way all Americans feel. Public polling does not actually show that there is a universal view of people getting rid of masks. A new News Nation poll conducted Sunday and Monday found about 64% of Americans favor new mask mandates in the event of new COVID surges. I'm continuing to wear my mask in um, heavily populated areas uh, just because the last time everything lifted and then everybody got sick again. Now, several Indiana politicians celebrated the change in that mandate. Attorney General Todd Rokita, who sued the administration over the policy, called the judge's ruling, quote, a win for liberty. Meanwhile, several local health experts have warned now is not the time to get rid of those COVID protections. Now is not the time to stop the mask mandate on transportation. We're still seeing cases increase both in the U.S., certain parts of the U.S., and then we're also seeing cases increase in Europe and uh, overseas. Now we had the chance to ask Governor Eric Holcomb his opinion on the mask mandates. He says he's just following the federal rules. Are we past time to need them? If you feel like you need to wear a mask, like you are right now, I respect that fact. And if you invite me into your home and ask me to wear a mask during a meeting, I will. Now, Governor Holcomb is listed as joining a strike force to address the rising immigration numbers. Governor Holcomb joins 25 other governors in those efforts. The states will share criminal justice information, coordinate interstate patrols, and monitor drug trafficking throughout the country. The strike force is promising to prosecute drug and human trafficking crimes to the fullest extent of the law. Now, Attorney General Todd Rokita also announced this week he's planning another trip to the border. This news comes less than three months after his last visit. I spoke with the Attorney General one-on-one -on -one this past week to discuss his plans. 
the trips that I've taken have produced results. First of all, two lawsuits, one of which has, has already shown a victory. We've got President Trump's Remain in Mexico policy reinstated. Uh, uh, so, which is one of the best deterrents for illegal border crossing. You have to remember that just because uh, this is a border issue, it's not just for border states. Within 48 hours of anyone illegally crossing the border, they can and they do come to Indiana with fentanyl, sex trafficking, and higher crime rates. You've told me in the past that you believe that these types of trips that are funded with taxpayer dollars are appropriate in your view for yep. your line of work. Yep. Why are multiple trips to the border necessary? Well, they're different. We're focusing on different things, right? We got two lawsuits filed already. Uh, now we need cross-border cooperation to have this stop. And again, you know, if the president did his job, if governors of non-border states were actively engaged, uh, maybe attorneys general wouldn't have to be the first line of defense. Uh, but they're not, and we are. When it comes to the Biden administration potentially lifting Title 42, the border restrictions issued to control coronavirus outbreaks among migrants, Rokita says he can't support a challenge to that decision while opposing policies like mask mandates and vaccine requirements. He says he wants to see a different solution to slow down migration. But there are other ways to correct that, like follow the rule of law, build the wall, and return people to Mexico when they cross the border illegally. Does that mean you think Title 42 should be lifted? Um, I, you know, it, it seemed like it was um, using the public health to do something else. So I'm, you know, I'm not really having an opinion on it, come or go. We just need to enforce the rule of law. Now, we'll follow the developments on that in the coming weeks. In the meantime, a Democratic candidate from Indiana used the 420 date this past week to promote his campaign for U.S. Senate. Tom McDermott wants to legalize weed at the federal level, and this week he joined some fellow advocates to push for Indiana to change its laws. Veterans are teaming up with Indiana Democrats to push lawmakers to give the green light for cannabis use. I'm here just speaking for myself and the other veterans that have PTSD that would like to choose a different path. The group is kicking off a statewide tour, pointing to a 2018 Hoosier survey poll showing 80% of Hoosiers support some form of marijuana legalization. Among the advocates, Hammond Mayor Tom McDermott, who's calling for cannabis to be legalized at the federal level. The legalization of cannabis is important to this campaign. McDermott, a Democrat running against Senator Todd Young, is the second U.S. Senate candidate to release an ad online this year in which he smokes marijuana. He says the ad was filmed in Illinois, which allows recreational use. What's happening is a lot of our Hoosiers, you know, Hoosiers that are caught with this plant are getting arrested, getting thrown in jail, getting criminal records, and that's unacceptable. Senator Young's campaign declined to comment for this story, but in 2014, Young said he believes medical marijuana should be a decision left to the states. So far, 37 states have legalized marijuana for at least medical use. Indiana isn't one of them. We have to put pressure on the supermajority in the state house because they're the ones that aren't doing it. Governor Eric Holcomb says he won't support state legislation until marijuana is legalized at the federal level. There's a lot of other states that um, obviously have ignored that. I'm just not one of those people that will ignore that law.
Now, as we said, McDermott is running against sitting Senator Todd Young, and the Democrat is behind his opponent in funding significantly. McDermott has about $88,000 cash on hand. Young has more than $6 million in campaign funds. I asked McDermott how that affects his campaign strategy. How are you trying to make up for that difference and stay competitive in this race? Well, I mean, my job is for, I mean, keep it, we have raised about 400000 at this point, which is not where Todd Young is, I acknowledge. And is that really a good thing, though? If Todd Young has $5 million and Mayor McDermott has $400,000 that he raised, I mean, you have to understand that when people donate money to a political candidate, they're buying loyalty. And how many people, you know, out of that $5 million, how many thousands of people have purchased our U.S. senator? I can tell you, I'm a Hoosier through and through. I fight for Hoosiers, and I have not been corrupted by Washington, D.C. political insiders like our senator has. Meanwhile, today we're taking a closer look at some of the congressional races across the state with the May primary now just 10 days away. The first district is closely watched this year. Representative Frank Mervan's seat is being targeted by Republicans. In Politico's ratings for congressional races this past week, they say the first district leans Democratic. Several Republican candidates will square off in a primary next month. Mervan has a Democratic primary opponent as well. Both the second and third district are considered solid Republican seats with incumbents Jackie Walorski and Jim Banks running for re-election. Politico expects the same in the fourth, fifth, and sixth di districts. Representatives Baird, Sparts, and Pence are all expected to earn re-election. Greg Pence does have a primary opponent in his district. The seventh district is considered solid for the Democrats with Congressman Andre Carson running for re-election. He has a couple of opponents in the primary. In the 8th district, Congressman Larry Bouchon is running again in a solid GOP district, but in the 9th, it's an open seat with Congressman Trey Hollingsworth not seeking re-election. It's considered a solid Republican district, and there are nine candidates on the ballot in that primary. That includes former state Senator Aaron Houchin and former Congressman Mike Sodrell. We've been talking with a number of the candidates in recent weeks. This week, I spoke with candidate Eric Schonsberg. This is a very crowded field, obviously. Mm -hmm. What makes you stand out in the race? Well, I think most of us, uh, well, we're all the same, I think, in terms of pro-life, the Second Amendment, the border, some of the traditional red meat conservative issues. But I think it's that economics thing. If people are concerned about the economy, then we could send you know, a lawyer or a businessman to D.C. or maybe we send an economics professor. There aren't any there, and maybe that explains why things are so jacked up in Washington right now. If you're elected, what would some of your biggest priorities be? Well, the debt would be t top. I mean, the, the debt is very dangerous. Uh, you know, we're, people ask, well, where's the limit? We don't know where that is, but we do know as we're driving a car, well, we're not driving. Congress and the president are driving a car towards the cliff. They're in a fog. They have their foot on the accelerator. They're going towards the cliff, and we can't keep doing that. In the meantime, some intra-party conflict for Indianapolis Democrats. Some local leaders are calling on the Marion County Democratic Chair to resign. The announcement came during a news conference this past week. The issue could go to the Democratic National Convention. Kate Sweeney-Bell serves as the chair of the Marion County Democratic Party, but she's also running for Marion County Clerk. Some Democratic leaders have argued that, as party chair, she was able to promote her own campaign and earned the endorsement of the party. The group also accused Sweeney Bell of, quote, structural racism because of the number of non-white candidates also on the ballot.
We cannot continue to be Democrats and hide our heads in the sands and say that there's nothing wrong when we know that there is. Everybody, my name. Now, during the presser, those who spoke said the issues have not been addressed at the local or state level, and they plan to raise it to the Democratic National Convention. The Marion County Democratic Party declined to comment on that news conference. Sweeney Bell sent a statement that did not address the clergy's concerns, but she said she's run a, quote, clean campaign, in her view. She will face a former state, former state senator, Billy Bro in a primary on May 3rd. Well, coming up next on this week's edition of In Focus, the future of mask mandates. Our panel breaks down the policy and what we could see happen next. Welcome back. Let's bring in our panel now. Former state party chair for the Indiana Democrats, Robin Winston. Former GOP lawmaker, Mike Murphy. Abdul Hakim Shabazz from IndiePolitics.org and UND political science professor, Dr. Laura Wilson. So Robin, I'll start with you. Tom McDermott has been out fundraised significantly in this race, as we mentioned earlier. He put out this ad this past week, him smoking marijuana in Illinois. Right. Was that a smart political move? Everybody's talking about it. I mean, he's not buying television time and he's getting television time. He also believes in it. And uh, as he's a veteran, he wants to direct some of the money to benefit veterans. Uh, polling in our state shows 80% of uh, voters uh, believe that some of the decriminalization should go into effect. So I talked to the mayor last week. It was a gutsy move. He did it where it was legal, had a driver on his way home, but it's an interesting issue. Mike, what's your response to that? Do you think this is exposing a weakness in some Indiana Republicans, most of them, who don't support marijuana legalization? Well, I, I think that the bigger issue, I think really Governor Holcomb nailed it. First of all, I think Tom McDermott's a nice guy. He's entertaining, always has been. He's going to get his butt kicked by Todd Young. That's all there is to it, okay? So he's, he's looking for news and he's making it. But the, the fact is the federal law um, outlaws it. And the reason that's important is because if you look at states like Colorado, Illinois, and Florida, and others, almost 40 states now, they, because it's outlawed under federal law, they cannot bank the money that they make. So it's a completely cash business. I have a friend of mine who owns a, a dope company, so to speak, in Florida, and he says his number one uh, expense is armored cars and warehousing to keep the cash. You have to, you can't deposit it in a federal bank because once you do that, it's subject to confiscation by the IRS or the U.S. attorneys or you know, whoever it is. So they have to fix that first. Schumer wants to pass a blanket um, uh, legalization. The Republicans want to pass what they call the Safe Banking Act, which allows you to use the federal banking system. And I think that's more likely to pass. Yeah. You know, Abdul, speaking about this uh, cash on hand for uh, marijuana legalization, as you saw, this was a tripartisan news conference. We were both there. The Libertarian Party was there in addition to Democrats. Former State Senator Jim Merritt was there, Republican, talking about this. Many of them touting the economic benefits there that are at stake here. But yet we saw at the State House once again, none of the bills that would legalize medicinal or recreational use got a committee hearing. So do you think this latest push and statewide tour will make any difference? Um, I think it, uh, once again, it brings the issue to the forefront. And that was interesting because last week was basically you know, the week of 420, the, the quote unquote legal weed holiday. So I think it was more about, you know, just sort of raising awareness of the marijuana legalization issue. And uh, uh, I want to say uh, Robin is correct because we pulled uh, this past summer and found that, you know, 80% of Hoosiers across the state support 
medical medical and or uh, recreational marijuana. But the problem, like Mike said, is at the federal level. Now, here's something interesting. I'll be brief here. Uh, there's a provision in the federal budget that basically says the federal government cannot use federal tax dollars to go after states that have, have legalized marijuana for medicinal purposes, not necessarily recreational, but medicinal. I think that's a, that's a major key point we need to keep in mind here when we talk about the legalization of marijuana for both medicinal and recreational purposes. And Laura, at the federal level, it appears legalization seems unlikely, even though one bill, the Moore Act, did pass the House a second time. Uh, what impact could this tour have, politically speaking, if state legislation and federal legislation both look unlikely here? Well, you can always go to the voters. And I think uh, you've heard uh, in terms of polling that a lot of people do support this. This has changed over time, by the way, of course, for a long time, this was a very unpopular issue. It was politically unpopular and it was thought that people who supported it wouldn't necessarily come out to vote. I think that's the key here because though you see large numbers of Hoosiers and Americans that now say they do support some level of legalization, either for medicinal or recreational purposes, is this gonna be that issue that drives them to the polls? And if we see that kind of impact, I do think you'll see a difference and a change in legislative behavior. So let's turn now to the mask mandate, the federal transportation mask mandate being overruled this past week by a judge. Mike, we saw 21 Republican and attorneys general sue to try to stop this mandate. Many conservatives were celebrating this ruling this past week. We did see a lot of Americans though, generally on both sides of the aisle, it seems celebrating as well. Well, it seems like we've gone through the looking glass on this whole, you know, CDC mask mandates and all the other restrictions. The fact is, under the Trump administration and under the Biden administration, no matter who's running the, the CDC show, they have lost all credibility with the American people. It's, it's like, it's like flip-flopping back and forth. One week it's a mask, the next week it's not. Uh, in in, in uh, Chicago, everybody had to wear a mask until March 30th. Someday, somehow March 30th was the mask, the magic no mask day. It makes no sense. And so people just quit believing anything they hear from the CDC. Robin, we saw at first the DOJ sort of pass the buck to the, C to the CDC <laughs> and say, let's see what they say first before we decide whether to appeal this. The Biden administration is going ahead and appealing this ruling. Do you think that's a smart move? I think it's a smart move because what, first off, the president still believes in public health and making sure that we do everything we can to protect that. We're coming close to losing a million Americans to, to the virus. So I think that that's smart on his part. However, we're getting to the point now, Kristen, that we have to decide are you going to follow what's logical? Do you want to drive 90 miles an hour down the interstate when it, the speed limit is 70? You probably shouldn't. So Americans are going to have to take that risk themselves, make the, the best health decision they can. Let's close with the Marion County clerk's race, the Democratic primary there, obviously, as we mentioned, very heated. Laura, do you think this exposes some issues with the slating process currently in place? It definitely brings up to question the role of slating and in particular the political party. And I would say this for any political party anytime, uh, but the idea of slating should be to help the party's candidates get elected. And it definitely seems right now with the Democrats in this particular election cycle that where there could be some um, infighting and in some cases where you wonder who has the best interests at heart, perhaps slating isn't the way to go. I, I'm not saying that's how I feel, but I do think it requires more analysis and thought of what the intention is and whether or not it's ultimately able to fulfill that. Abdul, you've been following this primary closely. Where, where do you see this headed? Oh, first of all, Slayton is the biggest scam that was ever invented, in my personal opinion. It's just a way for political parties to make money and make 10% of the people who file to run for offices. That's kind of point number one. Uh, point number two, I think this does show some serious divides 
uh, between African-Americans and the mainstream of the Marion County Democratic Party, which I don't think necessarily will, will show up in this go around, but it'll definitely have an impact in next year's mayoral elections as well as the city council elections. That's when it's to look for because if African-Americans are upset and the Republicans get the right type of Republican run for mayor, we can see a Greg Ballot repeat here in Indianapolis. All right, well, we'll be back with the panel in a little bit. Coming up next, four young Hoosiers charged with breaking into the state house. We've got a look at the vandalism left behind. Well, remember the vandalism we told you about at the state house recently? Well, we've now learned four juveniles are accused of causing $17,000 worth of damage inside the building. It happened on a Sunday afternoon in March. Now three girls and a boy face possible charges. Indiana State Police uncovered damage in three places at the State House. First, they say the group damaged an entrance to the point where they could open it and get inside. Once inside, police say the two te the teens hit two main places. On the third floor, they entered the house chamber and left graffiti and damaged electronics and personal property. We took this video the next day of a monitor you see there that appeared to be smashed. On the second floor, they hit the info and tour desk. Police say the group vandalized the desk, damaged a sculpture, and tampered with art. An officer heard the group in the rotunda, then they ran off. That officer caught up with them, and now police are recommending charges of criminal mischief, criminal trespass, and resisting law enforcement. For all four suspects, the youngest is just 12 years old. We'll be right back with winners and losers after this. All right, time to wrap things up with this week's winners and losers. Abdul, I'll go ahead and start with you. My winners are all the uh, marijuana dispensaries in Michigan and Illinois that are adjacent to Indiana and how much money they made on 420 this week. Laura? My losers are unfortunately all of us Hoosiers because the Indiana Youth Institute came out with new data showing there are more young Hoosiers that are hungry and not sure where the next meal is coming from. We have to do better. Please contribute to food pantries and give to the most vulnerable and young Hoosiers. Mike? Well, I'd have to say that my winner has to be the Canadian Finance Minister for trying to ban Russia from the G20. The loser has to be Mike Sodrell. He switched his uh, voter registration to a pole barn in the district. Evan Bayh got away with that for a little while until he didn't. Robin, you get the last word. Now the winners are the parents of Central Indiana, whether they're in Lebanon or Mount Vernon or Perry Township or Edinburgh. Signs are all over the place supporting our kids with referenda. All right, well, thanks for joining us this week. We'll see you again next week for another edition of In Focus.